0: You're listening to Hire to Retire, a health and wealth podcast with FOIA leaders, Bill Harmon and Hebele Valley, tackling all things from 401ks to HSAs and everything in between. We're talking to the best and brightest in the industry to bring you the latest in health, wealth, and investment trends in the workplace. Come along with us on our journey to help all Americans become well-planned, well-invested, and well-protected.
1: Hi, I'm Bill Harmon, and welcome back to Hire to Retire, a health and wealth podcast. We've launched this new series to bring you the latest news and insights around broader workplace trends. And I'm here today with my friend, colleague, and co host, Heather Lavallee.
0: Hey, Heather. Hey, thanks, Bill. Uh, excited to be back here with you and uh, with everyone, uh, all of our listeners. You know, so we talked recently with one of our own experts at Voya, Carrie Setti, who shared some of the great research about taking a look at consumer sentiment and insight over the past year amid COVID 19 pandemic. While she noted that Americans have shown incredible resiliency amid market disruptions, when it comes to saving for the future, she also noted that the pandemic became an eye opener for many when it comes to their health and wealth needs.
1: That's right, Heather. And one of the needs that Carrie highlighted and something that many are looking for today is building their emergency savings fund. In fact, one of the questions we asked her was, what can employers do to help their workforce when it comes to getting individuals back on track? and emergency savings support was on top of that list. That leads us to our guest and our topic today, which we're
0: incredibly excited about. Here with us today virtually is Senior Vice President at Commonwealth, Nick Menard. For those of you less familiar with Commonwealth, Commonwealth is a national nonprofit focused on building financial security and opportunity for financially vulnerable people through innovation and partnerships to change systems. Nick, thanks for joining us today.
2: Heather and Bill, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be today's guest.
0: That's good to
1: see you virtually. So, Nick, I I said we're here today to talk about emergency savings. And so as an innovator in this space, one thing you talk a lot about is how this plays broadly into financial security for individuals. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means?
2: So uh, it turns out that short-term emergency savings is really a cornerstone of financial security. And Prior to the pandemic and going into the pandemic, we've uh, seen uh, highlighting this, we had an emergency savings crisis in the US. There's a number of different statistics that folks point to, um, but the Federal Reserve data that notes that 37% of Americans cannot handle a $400 emergency from savings has been a key indicator of this crisis. And the challenge impacts uh, financial services firms, financial institutions, employers, fintechs, payroll firms. Uh, There's just a lot of opportunity uh, to address the need for this uh, pillar of financial security for, for folks. In addition, this challenge can cost employers. There's a lot of data out there about how much financial stress costs employers. One study estimates about $250 billion lost in productivity per year. If a household doesn't have control of its short-term needs and doesn't feel stable, that can lead to distraction and stress, uh, which can reduce one's ability to perform on the job. So it definitely is important. It's important both to households, but also to many players in our economy.
0: Nick, um, I want to build on that and just ask the question of you and Commonwealth what do you see as some of the main contributors of households in America not having emergency savings? Are there drivers, whether it be income, uh, a, a catastrophic event, um, and just kind of, w- what really is the is the trend that are kind of putting folks in, in the situation of not having emergency savings?
2: So our research has uncovered that there's uh, really two important um, jobs to be done when it comes to thinking about emergency savings, which highlights the needs. One is um, large income shocks. A lot of financial education will talk about the need for three to six to even nine months of an emergency fund for job loss, large family deductibles potentially um, for, for households. And it can be accumulated in large funds like that and, and do that job as well, not just the uh, large income shock. Uh, but then, for a majority of Americans, what's missing to do that particular job ties to the to the needs that you're talking about, which is expense shocks that range anywhere from uh, getting from paycheck to paycheck, all the way to the commonly talked about water heater breaks or the car breaks down, and the need to tap um, one's emergency savings. That that shorter-term, smaller liquid emergency savings. Uh, is something that we've been working uh, hard to focus on because there's just a lack of supply um, to do that job for consumers. Something that allows you to build up small amounts, then to use it, and then to rebuild it again. And that allows a household to not have to turn to high interest credit tools or other alternatives uh, to get through uh, an emergency.
0: It just it made me think. There was an article I read last week about a. Um, it says, you know, not every landlord is looking to evict, and it was of a single mom landlord in Minnesota, white woman, um, with a uh, a black tenant who was like a janitor in in the middle school. He got COVID, was hospitalized, lost his job, couldn't pay his. rent. I mean, I don't think he was lost his job. He couldn't pay his rent, right? He was he was in the hospital. And then he, when he came out, he actually fell and had another issue. So he he was had kind of a double whammy. And she wasn't in a position to just waive his rent. But what the article went on to say was that so many folks in a traditionally uh, white community, there is a network that you can tap in that has a higher level of accumulated. Uh, wealth or savings to say I can go to this family member or this neighbor in the black and in the Asian and the Latino community there may not be that same savings to be able to to tap into across your community base and it was a lovely story where they actually did it was almost a GoFundMe where they were able to get other people part of that community to cover his rent his back rent and so it was somebody who really helped another community member where they were just landlord and renter but you know. a a way to tackle something that's more systemic that clearly was not his, you know, not his doing there.
2: Yep, yep. And there's a whole set of research that some of that can happen also informally in the workplace. And then some employers have, they don't publicize it, but have hardship funds for workers. Uh, And oftentimes it's higher paid uh, folks contributing into a fund to help lower paid folks when they have something unexpected that's pretty significant that they need help getting through. So, yeah. It's interesting, and there's a there's a good bit of research, which is you've probably heard about universal basic income, and it's unclear if that'll happen or if that's helpful. But one of the interesting things is that there's a lot of research now showing that oftentimes just a cash infusion, like an injection of between one and two thousand at a certain moment, can help solve so much. Just like I needed it this one moment, it got me through the hurdle, and then I was on my way. And uh, then nobody gets stuck in sort of a bad cycle.
1: So the way you're describing this, I'm, I'm wondering about opportunities to deliver some solution through the workplace. And, you know, we, we have forms of that, but, but that's really more with retirement savings. So how do you think emergency savings and retirement savings go hand in hand? So
2: we think emergency savings um, and in our conversations with those in the retirement industry really is a, is a front end need for many families before they can even think about putting their next best dollar into retirement savings. So without a liquid savings tool, um, financial security is vulnerable to those unexpected expenses that I mentioned. That can end up with consumers taking on debt um, and expenses can potentially snowball. But if they start to build short-term savings and develop a cushion, they can use and tap that savings and continue to rebuild it and then start on a pathway to allocate uh, future dollars to retirement. And what that also prevents uh, is what we've been seeing in terms of behavior prior to COVID, which is uh, many households tapping their retirement uh, savings for emergencies, whether in the form of hardship withdrawals or loans. And so having that cushion and that buffer really can uh, help address some of those challenges. We recently did uh, some research with the uh, folks at the DSEA Retirement Research Center and and have been working with them on talking to low to moderate income plan participants about their emergency savings usage during the pandemic. And it was very interesting that we found that respondents who had that emergency savings were half as likely to have tapped their retirement savings. So there is a relationship in folks' minds when they get into an emergency of they're going to go find the pool of money that's available. And for so many folks, because of how well we've done with auto enrollment and other tools of retirement, that is a common place to look for short-term liquidity. But that's not the, that's not the job that that's supposed to do. Retirement's for retirement in the long term. And so it really does highlight the need for that short-term saving.
0: So Nick, you, you hit on this a little bit um, in, your, in your last answer, talking about there are um, different sort of decision vehicles, you know, do I save, do I put money in, in an emergency savings and some of the decisions from kind of the employer lens. Do you see that individuals who have gaps in emergency savings want help? And how to make those decisions. Are there tools? Are there things? We're talking about pretty complicated decisions. We often talk about the fact that workers today have significantly more benefit decisions to make every single day than you think about maybe our, our grandparents or, or folks a couple generations past in the workforce did. So when it comes to helping families make these decisions um, how, how do we best do that? What, what, what kind of advice would you have for employers or even you know, advisors, consultants who might be working with employers on how to best set these up?
2: So one of the, one of the first steps we take in, in partners, partnering with employers is to uh, engage their employees through research to understand where they're at with this issue of emergency savings. Oftentimes, employers will already be uh, sitting on a good bit of data through their record keeper, through financial wellness assessments and actually already have identified emergency savings as a challenge. And one of the things that we uncover in our research is with employers often is the different types of needs. Those employees who have less income, who are on lower on the pay scale, um, have different emergency savings needs than those on the higher end of the income spectrum. And that gets to the two sort of jobs to be done I mentioned at the beginning. And so starting with that data as a basis for conversation, there are uh, two key pathways that employers can think about pursuing. Uh, We frame it around in-plan versus out-of-plan and talk about the options that might be available in, in those settings. Employers are often very comfortable already with their record keeper relationship and having those conversations with their record keepers as a point of starting in the journey, if you will, around emergency savings. So when we talk about you know, in plan, we're talking about if a plan has a after-tax pocket turned on in the plan itself, that could become a place to offer direct funds for emergency savings. When we talk about out-of-plan, then we're really growing the set of employees. You don't actually have to be participating in the plan to then have access to the emergency savings tools. And employers have to start thinking about, is it an an out-of-plan solution provided by my record keeper partner? Is it a financial institution partner with a savings account that works? Is it a cash management account from another uh, vendor? Or there's a growing recognition that potentially for many low to moderate income employees, in particular, payroll cards, which already are available to employees that have savings features, uh, could also be helpful in in providing the liquid emergency savings that folks need.
1: We've talked about the growing need. And obviously, the world that we're in with COVID, we we saw that as uh, we surveyed employees and employers that that need has grown even further. So we know the needs out there, you talked about a lot of the different um, ways to approach it, that really covered a lot of the pros. Are there any cons to uh, an employer um, offering some type of emergency savings products?
2: The cons really live in sort of the individual options themselves, um, and really thinking about them in, in detail. So when thinking about an in-plan, what we often talk to, a uh, solution we talk to employers about is that it can entail changes to online platforms and communications and messaging that might be confusing. Retirement communications and messaging is often a well-oiled machine. It's got a strong schedule. There's a very good uh, refined set of communications tied to different moments in the HR calendar. And so... Trying to figure out how do I add emergency savings communication into communications about retirement can be uh, a step to really navigate and can be hard um, to envision. So that could potentially be a con. In addition, for for some in-plan tools, it can take multiple days to withdraw the funds because they're often on ACH rails, meaning it takes that normal three to five days that we all experience if we move money between bank accounts when we're not using Zelle, Zelle, for example. And so for many folks, they need that money instantly. They want liquidity. Um, There's many surveys out there and research that talks about this need for savings liquidity. And so that can be a con of an in-plan solution. And then in addition with with in-plan, there can be confusion, even though it's minimal for small dollar savers, uh, what the fees or penalties might be. Because anytime you pull money out of the plan, there is compliance and requirement to share what money is not coming out with that pull. And that can be confusing to consumers as to uh, why they would be saving and then maybe have some money pulled out, even if it's not money that's the core principle that they put in, if it's earnings off of that principle uh, and and a small penalty of 10% on a small balance. When you get to out-of-plan and think about the cons right now in the the structure of how things are set up, you don't have the benefits of auto-enrollment, payroll connections that in-plan has for many out-of-plan solutions. We know from from so much research and so much of it on the vanguard of retirement savings that reducing that friction and automation is really something that consumers respond to and helps them build uh, their savings so we think uh, further exploration around that automation out of plan will be important and then in addition, it can oftentimes require more upfront investment on the side of the employer to get an out of plan solution moving. It could involve bringing on a new vendor it could involve bringing in new pipes to the payroll system if there's payroll connections. And so, uh, you know, all of those things are in an employer's calculus in our experience and are are part of what we're hoping to explore and learn with employers as this continues to uh, expand in adoption.
0: So, um, Nick, with tax time upon us, and while we know the deadline has been pushed back a little bit, it certainly is a time when Americans may potentially be getting tax refunds. And, um, you know, I have to imagine that that lump sum of money um, can be difficult to decide what, you know, what to do with it. So, so what kind of advice uh, do you and Commonwealth have for individuals who are um, you know, very closely going to be getting a, a tax refund?
2: One of the things that I find fascinating about uh, you know, our research is that if you talk to households who are going to receive those income-supporting uh, refunds uh, ahead of tax time in the October timeframe, if you will, and you ask them, what do they want to do with their refund? It's pay down debt, it's build an emergency savings fund, it's, you know, save for my kids for school. By the time tax season rolls around, and one of the dynamics of tax season, which we all observe, is suddenly there's all these tax preparers advertising to consumers uh, and creating almost a, a desire to spend it all immediately or get it as fast as possible. And so one of the things that consumers really need help with is, uh, as you've mentioned, is sort of, what do I do with that money and how do I make it work for me in the most uh, effective way? So we have found that even starting conversations earlier and engaging that audience and and getting them set up for success. And then even if a firm is not providing the tax preparation or solution, continuing to engage and support and coach is so important. One powerful area is even letting people contract with themselves in that October timeframe with their uh, financial partner, and then that financial partner or advisor reminding them, hey, remember when you said you were going to build an emergency fund? Hey, that tax refund's coming, this is a perfect time. And then another piece of of work is really making sure that the products are available to do that job. Um, There are immediate needs uh, that need to be filled, there's no doubt about that, but then there's also the ability to really jumpstart that emergency fund uh, and make it something of value over time. And so we try to figure out ways to uh, coach industry uh, and advisors to really think about uh, what tools they can bring to bear on at that moment.
0: that's great. that's that's great and uh, and very timely uh, uh, information for our audience. Nick, thank you. you know i'm gonna I'm gonna try to summarize, I think some of the the really critical points you've made today is first, that for many employees having an emergency savings, can really keep them on the the right track longer term for retirement, right? Being able to establish that savings for those unforeseen events. Secondly, I think there's a lot for an employer to think about. And and you've given some really great uh, information today for our audience to consider and to be able to partner with an expert who can help them navigate some of those decisions, right? It is a little bit different. And I think lastly, the importance around how we can educate and take uh, a, a topic that could be viewed a little bit as complex and make it as simple as possible, right? The easier we make it for people to enroll and um, and, and really set up these emergency savings, it puts them in, in a better position um, for their future. Great. So um, that's,
2: that's pr- that, I will that, say- I could have said it better myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. I just try to try to summarize all of your fantastic insights. So I will say, Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you today. We want to thank you for your insight. We welcome you back to our show anytime. Great. Thank you. It's been great to be with you, Heather and Bill.
1: Thank you so much, Nick. And this concludes another episode of Hire to Retire. To all of you out there listening, thank you again for tuning in. And if you want to keep hearing more from us and remember to go out to our show page and hit subscribe to be notified on each new episode.
0: Well, thanks, Bill. And uh, you can also let us know that you're enjoying the podcast by giving us a review. We'd love to get your feedback.
1: And thank you all so much for coming along on our journey today. Stay well.
0: This information is provided by Voya for your education only. Neither Voya nor its representatives offer tax or legal advice. Any opinions expressed within do not necessarily reflect those of the Voya family of companies or its representatives and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult your tax or legal advisor before making a tax-related investment or insurance decision. Products and services offered through the Voya family of companies.